Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. It had been a long night. I don't mind working the night shift. After all, I'm a fisherman, as was my father and my grandfather before me. Night's the best time for fishing, and so it's always been our family's way of life. But this had been a particularly bad, wearisome night. We'd fished all night long, and we had caught nothing, nothing, not even a perch or a sunny we could have for breakfast. Now we dragged our weary bones back to shore to get our nets cleaned up so we could go home and get some sleep. That's when Jesus, the rabbi, showed up. Early in the morning, and he was already fired up with God's word, drawing a crowd, teaching the people. Don't get me wrong, I like to listen to him, and I sensed he was already somehow changing my life. He'd singled me out to spend time at our house. He'd healed my mother-in-law of a fever that might have taken her life. I mean, wow. No, he wasn't your average rabbi. Something powerful was at work in him, enabling him to heal the sick, to cast out evil spirits. He spoke with authority, and yet he was down to earth. He was among the people. That's when he ruined my sleep. Here I am washing my nets, listening to him speak to the people about these things when the crowds start to swell. And so what does he do? He gets into my boat, and he says to me, row out a bit so he can teach the people from the water where his voice will carry Well, what can I say? After all, he did heal my mother-in-law. He had spent time with my family, so I guess sleep would have to wait. I, I row him out, and I keep her steady while he teaches on. Like I said, I like to hear him talk, not that I have a choice, stuck there in the boat with him, but... But he's talking about the times we're living in, saying that that we're living in pivotal days, that all God's promises for the future are beginning to come true, that the kingdom of God is at hand, that God's new exodus of redemption is beginning to take place, and, and that he can show us the way to be a part of it. He's telling us how to live in light of this too, in in ways that please God, caring for each other's needs, loving others, being generous, trusting God for what we need. He says God is less concerned with some of the rituals of our religion than with things like justice and mercy. What he says makes sense. I sense something in my heart is, is waking up waking up to God in new ways that that have long been asleep and dormant. Well, when he's done talking, um, done with my boat, I think maybe he'll thank me, right? And, And let us go back to shore. But no, this carpenter turned rabbi turns to me, the fisherman, and says, go out in the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. You got to be kidding. Deep water in the daytime? I'm dumbfounded as his presumption, not to mention his ignorance. What's he thinking? There's a couple reasons we fish at night. (laughs) First of all, the fish come to the surface to feed at night. Second, at night it's dark, which means the fish can't see our nets and swim the other way, like they do in the daytime. 
And everyone knows the fish aren't in the deep water in the morning. I want to finish cleaning my nets and go to bed, and he wants me to go day fishing in the deep water. <laughs> I say to him, Chief, we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. I don't know myself why I said it. <laughs> Was I just humoring him? Was it out of respect? I don't know, but out we rode. We cast our nets again, wanting to get this over with as quick as possible, while Jesus is there seemingly enjoying his free fishing trip. And then, would you believe it, there are fish. Lots of fish. Lots of fish. In fact, I quickly realize I'm in trouble. My nets are going to tear. There are more fish than we can handle. What is this preacher? A fish finder? D did he know of a new fishing spot that had somehow eluded all of us for ge from generation to generation? Well, I don't want to give the spot away where every fisherman on the lake will be honing in on our jackpot. So as inconspicuously as I can, I signal to our partners, James and John, back on shore. Thankfully, they catch our drift and they come over to help. Even with all of us, though, we can barely get all the fish to shore. In fact, we almost sink both of our boats in the process. They are so full of fish. Now listen to me, seriously. I have been a fisherman my whole life, as was my father and grandfather before me. And in all my life and in all the stories Grandpa told, and he could tell some yarns, no one ever took a catch of fish on Galilee like this one. <laughs> it hit me like a ton of bricks. Who was this preacher? who was a way better fisherman than this salty fisherman. Why, a few more catches of this magnitude and we could sell the business and retire. <laughs> but what am I thinking? A moment ago, I was cranky and resentful, and now I'm greedy. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I am far from a holy man or even a good man. And here I am in the presence of a man I don't understand. There is a godliness to him, a foreignness, an otherness, yet an attractiveness. And it's coming close. It's pressing in on my life. And it's too much to take. So I blurted out, Lord, go away from me. I am a sinful man. That's what I said, and I meant it. Whoever he was, he was a man of God. And he had no business with the likes of me. I looked around at my partners, the other guys in the boat, waist deep in fish. Astonishment still written on all their faces. And Jesus says to me, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch people. That's what he said. I would catch people. <laughs> wow, Jesus wanted to associate with people like us to teach us a new trade, to teach us to do what he was doing, fishing for people for God. Something in me shifted in that moment. Who I was, what my life was about, 
I brought in the boat. So did James and John. We were in this together, this new venture, this new life, this new mission, this new calling in search of God's kingdom. We left the fish with our men. They could sell them. That would feed our families, provide for my wife and my mother-in-law while we were gone. I guess Jesus had thanked me for lending him my boat after all. But not just by providing a huge cash cow. Also by believing in me enough to invite me into his company and into his mission. The truth is that all that morning, he, the rabbi, had been fishing. No, not just fishing for fish. No, fishing for people. Fishing for me. And I guess he caught me, huh? I was hooked. And now he's going to teach me how to catch people too. I have no idea how, but that's okay. I think I have the best teacher. And if the catch of fish we took that morning is any indication, I'm going to be very successful. Because Jesus, my new teacher, knows where all the fish are and how to catch them. So that's the story of how a sinful fisherman named Simon began his new life and his training in how to become a fisher of people. And so what does this story have to say to us today? Well, first let me ask you, what did Jesus mean when he tells Simon, from now on, you'll be catching people or fishing for men, as the older translations put it? Well, if we were to go back over the story of Jesus in the, in the Gospel of Luke, which we're in this morning, um, up to chapter 5, where we read this story, we'd see that so far in his ministry, Jesus had preached in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth and gotten rejected there. Then he had gone to Capernaum and taught in the synagogue there, cast out a demon there, healed Simon's mother-in-law, and then healed or cast out demons from lots of other people. And all of this attracts a crowd. And then the crowd tries to keep Jesus from leaving and um, because uh, they have their agenda for Jesus, but they're not in touch with his purpose. And so Jesus leaves them all. Because he's called to go to other people and places too. So in all of that ministry so far, has Jesus actually caught anyone yet? Well, in today's story, I'd say he catches his first catch that we know of. Simon, James, and John. You see, the crowds will always be here. They'll be nibbling here. They'll be nibbling there. But people Jesus actually catches are those disciples who will actually follow him, who will uh, devote their lives to learning the ways of his kingdom, who will put their trust in him, and will lean into the surprising upside-down kingdom, uh, a kingdom that Jesus has come to be uh, to bring. This, this kingdom where the poor get blessed, where the weak and the humble get lifted up where the rich and the powerful get humbled, where the blind come to see, the oppressed are set free, 
where sinners are forgiven and welcomed. The crowds will come and go, and Jesus does care about them, but Jesus knows he's only got three years to firmly establish his different sort of kingdom. And so he gathers disciples, learners, apprentices, followers, who he can invest in until they really get his new kingdom, his upside-down ways, and so they can learn to carry it on, to carry on his work, and to live out his way after he's gone. So to catch people for Jesus, I think, is to find and to make disciples, followers, apprentices, who will devote themselves to learning and living his ways. That's what he's after. And so imagine a church sanctuary full of people. Some are just visiting. Um, A lot at one point or another have um, had some sort of conversion experience involving receiving Jesus as their Savior, or maybe they were born and raised to believe in Jesus. Question, are they the crowd or are they the disciples? Are they the ones Jesus has caught? Or are the ones Jesus has caught the ones who have given their lives to follow him and to learn from Jesus day to day how to live in his kingdom? Here's another question. Has Jesus caught you? Has Jesus really caught you yet? Are you following Jesus? Are you letting him teach you how to find and make disciples of others as well? Because in this story, we learn that those Jesus catches, he promptly turns around and teaches to catch others as well. In other words, to be a disciple of Jesus involves learning how to find and make disciples too. So with that backdrop, here are four surprises in this story about the way of Jesus and about the way Jesus finds and makes disciples. The first surprise I see in this story is that Jesus is seeking and is recruiting sinful people. Jesus' invitation to discipleship is open to sinners. You don't have to be some holy religious type. You don't have to have your stuff together spiritually to take up Jesus' invitation to become a disciple. You don't have to be worthy, just willing. Jesus will train you. You just have to be teachable. When Simon says in verse 8, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man, I don't think Jesus is being, or Simon is being dramatic or self-deprecating. No, Simon is a sinner. (laughs) Don't confuse Simon the fisherman with who Simon becomes later in life. At this point, as Jesus draws close to Simon, Simon feels unmasked. He feels uncovered. He's not in church, right? (laughs) He's just a fisherman doing his job. But Jesus has showed up in Simon's ordinary life, and Simon senses God is very much in what Jesus is doing, and Simon knows he doesn't deserve to be close to God or to have a part in what God is doing. 
Simon says, go away from me, Lord. I'm not deserving. I don't fit into the reality you're talking about and bringing. And guess what? That's exactly the kind of attitude Jesus can work with. People who know they're not worthy. Who are willing to receive what they know they don't deserve. But are willing to receive grace. It reminds me of a scene from Le Miserable. Um, I may have shared this before, you may know it. But Jean Valjean in the story is a hardened criminal who spent years suffering in prison, and he's finally out on parole years later, his best years of his life gone. And he's traveling just out of prison one dark night, and he can't find anyone who will take him in for the night because of his criminal record. But then a kindly bishop takes him in and offers him warm hospitality for the evening. And Valjean repays him in return by getting up early the next morning while it's still dark, stealing the bishop's silver plates and silverware and fleeing. Well, the police catch up with him later, and Valjean claims the bishop gave him the silver, and the police are, of course, pretty doubtful, so they haul him back to the bishop. And if convicted for this new theft at the bishop's word, Valjean's fate will be sealed forever to a life of utter hopelessness in prison. The bishop realizes this and he says, yes, I gave him the silver. Then he scolds Valjean. You should have, you should have taken the candlesticks too. You forgot I gave you the candlesticks. And the police are surprised, but they're satisfied, and so they leave. And then the bishop tells Valjean, I give you the silver so you can become an honest man. So you can turn from evil and belong to God. And once this act of utter grace by the bishop has sunk in, it completely transforms Valjean. And he turns to a life of, of goodness and compassion toward others. In that story, the bishop was fishing with Jesus. And he helped Jesus catch Valjean, a sinner. And this is exactly the way of God. The way of his grace. God delights to reclaim and redeem unworthy people. It's what Jesus does for Simon and what he wants to teach Simon and us to do for others as well. Second surprise in the story, we've alluded it to already. Jesus is not fishing for fish, but for fishermen. Jesus is not seeking converts. He's seeking disciples who will also go on to become disciple makers. What's the first thing Jesus says to Simon? First thing, from now on, you will catch people. <laughs> from now on? <laughs> from day one? Simon's not even out of the boat yet. <laughs> Simon knows nothing yet. He himself is a self-described sinner. He doesn't know his theology. He hasn't grown in his character. He has no ministry skills yet. But Jesus says, now that I've caught you, you're going to catch others. Now that you're my disciple, you're going to learn to find and make disciples of others. 
And would you believe that three years later, Simon would be the leader of the worldwide Christian movement? <laughs> this fact really struck me as we've been doing this, this outreach using the video series about Jesus called The Chosen. And so as I've been praying for this, I have not been praying that God would save people. I've not been praying for converts. I've been praying instead that God would be recruiting the future leaders of his kingdom and his church through this outreach effort, people who don't even know Jesus yet. Because no sooner does Jesus call someone to follow him than he says, guess what? Part of following me is that you get to help me. Find and make disciples of others. That's what we're doing together. Third surprise. Jesus is leading us to follow him in the everyday places of our ordinary lives. Have you noticed that today's story and the majority of Jesus' recording teachings and miracles, they don't happen in religious settings or worship services. Jesus does his best most impactful work where people are fishing, collecting taxes, traveling, throwing parties. Jesus loves to show up at parties. And so if you want to find Jesus and be a part of what he's doing, please don't limit yourself to church. Because Jesus is out there at your workplace, in your neighborhood, where you hang out with your friends. That's where he loves to do his work Seeking people, teaching people, bringing his kingdom, and transforming everyday life. And that's where you have to live out your faith. If your faith isn't real in your everyday life, it's probably not actually a real faith at all. Are you walking with Jesus in your everyday life? Are you helping others to walk with Jesus in those places too? In my 20s, I was uh, working on, uh, at a nonprofit on Capitol Hill, and um, during my spare time, I was also helping a pastor to plant a church in Washington, D.C., and from time to time, this pastor um, would come to visit me for lunch at work, and I remember one time he said, I want to visit you at work because that's where you have to follow God every day, and so I can be a better pastor to you if I know where you follow Jesus. You follow him at work. One uh, of my wife's major mentors, a major discipler in her life, when um, she was uh, in her 20s, this woman was in her life, and she'd invite Anne over to her home. Now, this woman was a busy stay-at-home mom with young kids, She'd have Ann over while she was doing the ironing or washing dishes. Sometimes I think Ann would help her. And they'd talk about God, and they'd talk about life, and they'd talk about following Jesus. And Ann would see how this woman um, disciplined her kids and how she responded and reacted to stressful situations. Following Jesus happens in ordinary life, and Jesus is leading us in the everyday situations of life. That's why for years at CBC, we've been working on taking church outside of this building. Meeting in homes, at coffee shops, reaching out in bars, square dance clubs, neighborhoods, 
letting Jesus shape how we do our jobs, our businesses. As we follow him, Jesus leads us into the everyday situations and places of life. Fourth surprise. The way Jesus finds and makes disciples is in the context of a spiritual family that are on mission together. A spiritual family on mission together. That's how Jesus works. When Jesus began his mission, his ministry, he never even considered going solo. And he never called his followers to go solo. You know why? Because Jesus wasn't a modern Western individualist. And because Jesus created us, he knows our brains are not wired to do well alone. We can't be joyful alone. We can't grow or mature alone. We are created for community. Neuroscientists now know that that's not just good theology or good sociology. It's actually encoded in the very wiring of our brains. We are created for community. And so Jesus found and made disciples in community in the context of a spiritual family. So when Jesus was rejected by his blood family, if you go back to Luke 4, he was rejected in Nazareth by his community, his blood relatives, his neighbors, his childhood friends. And so Jesus needed a new family, a new community. So if you piece the events from the other Gospels together, we learn in John's Gospel that early on when Jesus was down in Judea near Jerusalem with John the Baptist, Jesus met a guy there named Andrew and his brother Simon and another guy named Philip, and they were all from the same town, a little town called Bethsaida, which is on the Sea of Galilee, quite near another little town called Capernaum, where Simon and Andrew wind up living and working. And so when Jesus is rejected by his family and his community in Nazareth, maybe he thought, where can I go? Where do I know uh, people who will welcome me? Where can I become part of a new family? I know, I remember by the Sea of Galilee, those guys from Bethsaida and Capernaum that I met when I was with John the Baptist. Now, we don't know all that happened in Capernaum. We only have some highlights, but the highlights are telling. Jesus goes to the synagogue there where the whole town met to worship. Then he spends time with Simon's family, Simon and Andrew's family, perhaps even staying at Simon's house. He heals Simon's mother-in-law. And then before long, he begins including this family in his mission, right? One evening, the whole town comes to Simon's house to be healed, to be set free. And then when everyone wants Jesus to stay in their little town and Jesus has prayed about it, Jesus says, no, I have to go to the other towns too. But guess what? Jesus takes his new spiritual family with him on the mission, or at least he takes some of them. He asks Simon to follow him. He asks his brother Andrew and also Simon's fishing partners, James and John. These four guys are already family. They're already close community with one another. 
And now Jesus becomes part of their family and gives this growing spiritual family a new mission, no longer fishing, but fishing for people, finding and making disciples, as together they learn the way of the kingdom and they bring the kingdom of God. Jesus is going to make these guys into disciples, and he's going to teach them how to find and make disciples too. And they're going to succeed. Do you know why? Because they have the best teacher. They have Jesus. And Jesus has proved by his miracle of a big catch of fish that Jesus knows where the fish are and how to catch them. And Jesus knows how to help you and help me catch fish as well. So question, has Jesus caught you? Are you following Jesus? Are you a disciple? This isn't a distinction you have to earn or be good enough for. Jesus wants anyone who's willing. That's all it takes. Jesus took Simon, after all, a sinner. <laughs> Jesus saw potential in Simon, potential Simon couldn't see in himself. And Jesus sees potential in you and me as well. Well, if you're caught, hook, line, and sinker, do you realize Jesus wants to teach you how to find and make disciples too? And the way this will happen is as you join a spiritual family that's on mission with Jesus together. Now, that's what we as CBC as a whole are seeking to be a spiritual family on mission with Jesus together. But none of us can be close enough to everyone in this congregation to do ordinary life together. So who's your spiritual family within the bigger CBC family? Are you making time to be part of a smaller spiritual family? I know this has been hard with COVID. <laughs> But now that things are opening up, will you make it a priority to be part of a spiritual family that's on mission together? Because that's where and how Jesus makes disciples. Let's pray. Jesus, if we've been around church a while, we confess we lose the awe and the amazement that you would want to draw people like us close to you or, or to use us. Thank you for the good news that, of who you are, that you are willing to welcome anyone who's willing to be welcomed by you, anyone who's willing to trust you and follow you. Some of us are way better at making disciples than others. We all have a lot of growing to do. But you've proved that you're a really good fisherman. <laughs> and that if we stick with you, you'll teach us as well. So I pray that as we walk together into the spring and summer, that we would walk with you and that you would teach us, follow you, and how you catch people. Amen.